Amen. It's good to worship with you this morning. Well, my name is Kyle Collins. I'm the executive pastor of Adult Ministries here at Pulpit Rock, and we're going to continue in our series on the minor prophets this morning. Uh, I'm really excited to bring a close to the book of Habakkuk. Um, How about the last two weeks, right? It has been so good, and there's been something for me, like as we've, uh, just Jonathan's walked us through some of Habakkuk's uh, wrestling with God, some of Habakkuk's waiting on God. Um, that just brings us to this moment. I'm really excited to kind of close this out. This final chapter is pretty breathtaking um, as we read the words of Habakkuk. Um, If you've missed those, by the way, if you're watching online, check those out. Uh, You can find the videos on our website. You could also listen to them on Spotify. But it all brings us to this moment. Um, You know, we have a couple more prophets that we're going to look at in our Minor Prophets series before Lent. And then we're going to focus our attention on a teaching series through the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Um, looking at some of the parables that Jesus uh, talks about and, and shares. And we're going to call that the Gospel in 12 Stories. Uh, so I hope you'll join us for Lynn. I'm really excited about that series. But as I was thinking about Habakkuk 3 this morning, and our, you know, our preaching team has started to work on, on some of that, I, I just started kind of thinking about some of the parables in that story. And, and one of them that we find in the Gospel of Luke, don't worry, it won't be in the series, so I'm not like ruining anything for you, um, is a really familiar one about seeds. And so Jesus talks about seeds that fall on different types of soil. He talks about how the, the, there's a type of seed that falls on the hardened soil of the pathway. And before it has a chance to grow, the, the bird snatches it and, and takes it away. He talks about the seed that falls on rocky soil with kind of shallow earth. And it grows really quickly. Uh, but because there's no room for the roots, uh, after a while it, it dies. Um, he talks about the seed that, that grows in thorny soil. Um, and it begins to grow Uh, but then it gets choked out by the thorns. Um, And finally, seed that falls on fruitful soil that grows deep roots and and bears fruit. I think one of the questions for all of us that follow Jesus is how do we have the sort of faith that is like that fruitful soil with deep roots, a faith that bears fruit, a faith that holds fast during changing seasons. Habakkuk shows us the way this morning. There's something here in Habakkuk's faith. He demonstrates this deep-rooted, authentic faith. He demonstrates worship in the midst of an impossibly hard circumstance. And so I want to pay attention to Habakkuk this morning. What is the type of faith that can grow fruitful fruit? You can open your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3, and we're going to start there. We're making a turn here. In the first two chapters of Habakkuk, we see some of his wrestling and and waiting on God. But there is this dramatic shift. We start to see some of the fruit of Habakkuk's wrestling this morning. There's a change here. And just some context for what we're about to read. The entire book of Habakkuk is actually a book of poetry. Uh, But this ending prayer of Habakkuk in in chapter 3 is actually not uh, a psalm to be sung. And so it's really unique. I think it's interesting Um, You might be asking, hey, I I read Habakkuk chapter 3. How do you know that it's a song to be sung? Um, Our clue there is at the beginning it says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. Uh, That word Shigianoth, it's only found in one other place in Scripture. It's found in Psalm 7. Um, And since no one really knows what this ancient Hebrew word means, you can't tell me I pronounced it wrong. Um, But also, since no one really knows exactly what it means, it's one of the words that wasn't translated in our Bibles from Hebrew. Instead, it was transliterated. 
um, in both Habakkuk and in Psalm 7. Uh, but most Bible scholars believe uh, that this word, it carries the idea of strong emotion. The song would have been sung with great excitement, with rapid changes of emotion and tune. And we also find the word selah three times in this last chapter, which is a musical notation. And it's the only other place it appears uh, is in the book of Psalms. And so it's really fascinating. These are not just prophetic words that Habakkuk is speaking. He is literally singing. This stuff comes from a deeper place. Habakkuk has experienced something and he has been deeply shaped by it. And we're about to read all about it. You see, some of the prophets that we were studying uh, in this series, they're speaking words from God to people in places that they don't have relationship with, right? Like God has sent them to, to speak prophecy over this group of people or that. But with Habakkuk, he is wrestling with injustice that he is experiencing all around him in the nation of Judah. Like he's intimately connected to this. And God reveals that it's going to get worse. God promises that he'll deal with the wickedness in Judah, all the things that Habakkuk was crying out to him about, by allowing the entire nation to be conquered and carried off into exile by an even more wicked nation, the Babylonians. And that God would use the wickedness of Babylon to bring judgment and discipline to Judah. We saw last week, like Habakkuk had a lot of questions about that. He did not think that was a good idea. These are Habakkuk's neighbors, his family, his friends. These are God's chosen people. Like This is what we have to understand. Habakkuk is prophesying against himself. Every word that he's speaking, he's in the middle of what's about to happen. And it makes it so much more relevant and I think powerful, us, powerful for us to understand Habakkuk was about to be taken into exile. Babylon would rule over the nation of Judah for the rest of his life. The deliverance that God promised in Habakkuk 2 would not happen in Habakkuk's lifetime. This is what he's staring down. The words that he's prophesying to the people. And in chapter 3, verse 1, Habakkuk begins to sing. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk begins his song with a prayer asking God for three things. He says, in the midst of the years of captivity, when Babylon is ruling over Israel, God, would you revive the work of saving your people? Would you preserve life in this time? He says, in our exile and calamity, would you make it known to us? Would you provide understanding of who you are and what you're doing? He says, in the midst of this judgment and wrath, God, would you remember mercy? Like, I love this prayer from Habakkuk. And notice that he, he doesn't ask that God would change his mind. He's not asking God to change his plans. This, this isn't a prayer asking God to take away the hard thing or the circumstances that was about to happen. He's staring it down in the very middle of it. He already asked all those questions and he wrestled the, the stuff out with God in the first two chapters. What he does ask, I think we should take note of. He asks that God be God. He reminds God of who he is. That in the coming exile, that in the captivity, that God would preserve life. That God would help his people know and understand. 
And certainly Habakkuk is part of God's plan to do that, right? That this prophecy, this book, was part of God revealing and helping the people to understand. And finally, he asked that God would remember mercy. What a bold request. That he looks at God and he says, God be God. And reminds God of who he is. It's the sort of thing that only happens in relationship, right? Habakkuk knows God. And he knows who God is. And there's something that was formed in him in all of the wrestling and the questions and the back and forth that we talked about the last few weeks. He's asking God be God in the midst of all that was about to happen. And then in the next 12 verses, Habakkuk affirms, he praises, he remembers who God is and what he's done. He talks about God's power and might over the nations. He points to the purpose of God's wrath. And here Habakkuk is worshiping. Chapter 3, or verse 3. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. So there's a lot to explore here. And there's a lot of vivid imagery and references to different events, places where God showed up for his people. Um, we don't have time to study all of that this morning, but I want to encourage you to maybe take some time with a study Bible this week. Um, there's some great tools online. Bible Gateway is a great resource. And you can just read through some of these verses. There's some really incredible um, parallels and, and kind of reflections on who God is and what he's done. But for me, as I read through this part of the song, I, I found myself coming again and again to verse 8. It, it, to me, it's like this really clever lyric in a good song. Like, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but when you're listening to a song and you go, that is such a good way of saying that, it kind of gets stuck in your head. You keep thinking about it. You keep coming back to it. Verse 8 was that for me. It says, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation like what's he saying there isn't that interesting Habakkuk is recalling when God split the Red Sea and he allowed Israel to cross on dry land when he rescued them from Egypt he's thinking back to when the Jordan's river stopped flowing and piled up as the priest stepped into the river with the Ark of the Covenant and they crossed into the promised land. 
He's saying you know, his wrath, God's wrath wasn't from anger at the rivers and seas. When he demonstrated his power and caused the sea to split and he piled up the river into a mountain, it wasn't his anger and wrath. His power was demonstrated not to punish, but to save, to deliver his people. In the same way, his wrath in this moment, the moment that Habakkuk was about to step into with God's people, their captivity, their exile would be temporary, part of a bigger thing that God was doing. And reminding God, reminding himself, reminding his people that God's purpose was to save in the end. Look in verse 13, he says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. Habakkuk looks back and remembers who God has been. And Habakkuk looks up and he affirms who God will continue to be. He knows that in the end that God will deliver his people and and punish the wicked nation of Babylon. That was God's promise to him in chapter 2. But like we learned last week, that deliverance would require some very difficult and some very painful waiting. It wouldn't even happen in his lifetime. And I think what's so interesting about this song, like these words that Habakkuk sings, like this isn't just a shallow sort of right answer or like trite response. Like Habakkuk fully understands what is about to happen. He is deeply troubled by it. The words he uses in verse 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. In the beginning, Habakkuk thought God was doing nothing about the injustice that he saw all around him in Judah. He was angry. And he says, God, this is who I know you to be, and this is my experience of you, and why do these not match up? And in his wrestling and in his questioning and doubt, he discovers God at work in a bigger way than he even had imagined. And Habakkuk found God ready to meet him, to receive his doubts, to receive his questions. And what happened is Habakkuk left with a supernatural confidence that God could be trusted, that God would be his strength to endure the exile and the calamity that was coming. And Habakkuk closes his song with one of the most beautiful prayers of trust in all of Scripture. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy And the God of my salvation, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Like what a change from the Habakkuk we encountered at the beginning of the book, right? A supernatural change. And I think Habakkuk reminds us that, that God moves in ways that are unexpected, 
Like this certainly wasn't what Habakkuk would have come up with when he brought the injustice that he was experiencing all around him to God, that another nation would come and carry them all off into exile. I think Habakkuk reminds us that God is always, like he has every human on the planet in mind, that there's something that God is doing that is bigger than the thing right in front of us. And also, he has just you in mind. Like, do you notice the care that God has for Habakkuk? His questions, his doubt, his anger, his frustration. God made space for all of it. And please don't miss this. Habakkuk's anger, his doubt, his wrestling with God, it preceded this demonstration of faith and trust. Like his wrestling preceded his worship. In fact, I think it formed it. It wouldn't have been possible without it. At least not in the deep, authentic way, the deep-rooted way that Habakkuk would need to endure the rest of his life in captivity. You know, April of this year uh, will mark the six-year anniversary of losing my dad suddenly in a car accident. And many of you know about that. But in the months that followed, um, I was preparing to become a dad for myself uh, for the first time. And we were waiting expectantly for our son, Logan, to arrive. Um, and I was really angry at God. I was really confused. Um, I had a lot of expectations and belief about who God was supposed to be and how he was supposed to act in my life that I suddenly couldn't make sense of. And I had never in my life experienced wrestling with God like that before. But I really began to wrestle. And I spent months, like, literally shouting and questioning God. Uh, I even had a space set aside for it, our shed in the backyard. Um, At the end of the day, as Janae headed off to bed, I would head out to the shed and turn on the propane heater and sit in a camp chair. And our shed became this safe and and sacred space where my tears and my shouting... um, had a place and didn't wake my pregnant wife and then a few months later, our sleeping son. And I'm not saying that grief is the exact same thing. Like, I do think grief is is unique. But there was something in that wrestling that was like, God, I, I expected you to be this way and I expected you to show up in my life like this and you didn't. This has been my experience of you and I can't make sense of it. Like, show me what I'm missing. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that that wrestling forever changed me and my relationship with God. Like my questions and my doubt and my anger, it had a place. And like Habakkuk, God didn't answer in the ways that I wanted him to. Like none of it brought back my dad. None of it did much to take away my grief. But I grew closer to God in those few months than I ever thought possible. He softened my heart. He held my grief and my pain. He was present in a way that I had never experienced in my life. And I was never alone in the shed. Like that wrestling with God for me, it brought intimacy. Like it built trust. I am more sure of who God is today than I ever have been. 
your questions do not scare God. They're part of something bigger that he's doing. Like if you will let them, those questions will draw you closer to him. You know, I, I want to speak to something that I think kind of fits here. Like over the past few years, um, the idea of deconstruction has become pretty mainstream. Um, and for those that may not know, that's the label that's often applied to the process of questioning, doubting, um, and then in some cases, rejecting aspects of the Christian faith. Um, and there's lots of reasons that people kind of deconstruct. I, I think for a lot, it's in response to deeply personal pain, um, pain from being neg- neglected or rejected or even abused within a church. Um, whatever the reason for that process of deconstruction, like I, I, there are a lot of places in church where I think those deep questions are discouraged. There can be a lot of fear surrounding questions and doubt. And just in general, I don't know that we've always done a great job as a church in creating safe places for people to wrestle or just to ask tough questions like that. Um, but I want you to know if that describes you in any way, you're welcome here. Like This has been a safe place for me, and I pray that it would be a safe place for you as well. Like at Pulpit Rock, we believe that the process of holding our belief openly, questioning, inve- investigating, even changing our convictions, like that's a deeply biblical process. And there are aspects of how all of us have experienced church that need disentangled and separated from who God is and how he reveals himself to us. So there's space for that. Um, and also, I think within that larger movement, of deconstruction, there's a type of deconstruction that seeks to kind of criticize and find fault without really seeking to understand, like to poke holes in the thing without really wanting to wrestle with God. That is not what Habakkuk is doing here. Like, do you see the difference? And, and I'll be honest, seeking to understand and answer those deep and hard questions, like it, it takes a lot of time and effort. Like there's a discipline to wrestling. It takes humility, takes listening to God, but Habakkuk can be our guide. He is someone who desires to know why God seems to be contradicting his character. He boldly takes those questions to God. He demands an answer. He waits patiently for God's response, and then he keeps on asking, and he keeps on asking, And he keeps on asking until his heart is satisfied. And what Habakkuk got from God was not all of the answers, but he did get relationship. He got intimacy. God built trust. So if you are angry at God, if you've been hurt by church, if you find yourself in the middle of an unjust situation and you're carrying all the weight and pain of it, can I just remind you that the God of the universe has made space for your doubt and unbelief. He has compassion for your questions. He will not turn away in the midst of your anger and your frustration. And if you let it, if you let him, your wrestling can draw you closer. It can bring you intimacy in a way you never imagined. So wrestle. Because the cost of just finding fault and criticizing without allowing those wounds to ever heal is just too great. Amen.
I don't know what you bring this morning. Maybe it's doubt and questions. Maybe not. But I can tell you that what is absolutely required to bring to God, if we want to have the sort of deep roots and fruitful soil that Jesus talked about in the parable in Luke, like it's honesty. Honesty about our life. Honesty about our sin. Honesty about our experience. Honesty about where our heart is at. Honesty about whatever it is. God will meet you in that place every time. So this morning we're going to close our time by taking communion together, uh, all together as a, as a, as a family. Um, in the midst of the impending exile, Habakkuk was reminded of who God is and what God had done. He worshipped. He declared his trust in God. I like the idea of uh, this, just this whole chapter being a song. Like, isn't there something about songs that we kind of need to sing them again and again? Like, they become something that we hold tightly to. Maybe we dare to believe it. Then we kind of believe it a little bit more. Then absolutely we believe it. There's something about this that Habakkuk needed to sing. A communion, it's a chance for us to, to do the same thing, to remember who God is, to trust in what he's done for us. And so I want to give you a moment, even right now, if you do not have those uh, communion elements, go ahead and, and, and get up, and you guys can move to these tables and grab them, and just to have them ready. But uh, I, I have been thinking about this, this last chapter as a song, and what it might have been like to hear it sung. You know, I think there's something so powerful about music, um, about songs, and, and we, we miss the power and weight sometimes of psalms, and, and, and even like this chapter of Habakkuk. Because we do read them sometimes like a narrative without experiencing them, without feeling them, like poetry and song. Um, but several times over the last few weeks, I found myself drawn to this song uh, by a, uh, an artist named Chris Renzema called Just As Good. And I think it's kind of like a modern-day prayer of Habakkuk. Like the lyrics in the song, uh, they reflect so much of what we just read. A trust that God is who he says he is remembering ways that God has shown up in the past. And so as we enter into this time of communion, I want to play this song over you. The tables are open. You're welcome to take communion whenever you feel ready. Would you let the words of this song encourage and still your heart? so weak got this weight upon my chest and I can't stop forgetting my God you've never left you're right here with me still I'm convinced you're hiding oh God would you remind me that you're still just as good as when I met you you're still just as kind, don't let me forget that you're still the same. 
Yeah. 